Allie. And I'm Sarah. And you're listening to Dead Cat on the Line, an internationally focused true crime podcast. Where two very anxious people overanalyze everything. Are you ready for this? The part of the section, the headline. Are you ready? Are you ready to cheer? Because the I am. I am so ready. Is arrest. Like yes. Finally. They're not even going to get the evening, really. So basically, it's very early on the morning of the seventh, so the very next day. Okay. And it's very shortly after Smith's phone call. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine they went back and they went back and forth for hours about what they do. Probably. And, and like, that. making plans on how to do it once they decided. Exactly. And, like, the fact that people criticize this guy makes me really mad. I'm like, oh, so you think you'd be able in 10 minutes to make a decision about yeah. whether you're going to turn in your murderous brother-in-law? I mean, honestly, he was... Brother-in-law, do you know what I mean? I'm like, Yeah, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place, honestly. There's a lyric from a song I really like that I just keep thinking that's, mm-hmm. like, speaking from a gang member's point of view, and it the lyrics are, um, the way I see it, you're now a part of this, so if you don't speak, you're an accomplice. But if you do, you're gonna have worse problems than that. I wonder about the fact that, from what I can tell, David Smith is a working-class young man. He has three criminal convictions already, and these two are clearly gonna say that he was in on it. Yeah. So and... there's there's like a lot that goes into him being mm-hmm. hesitant to yeah. do anything and being unsure of what to do and i know like people are like oh well he did the right thing and he did but people underestimate like what a bloody brave thing that is to do they took weapons with them to go like, call the police they were like, so the scared two, i know the two things that really stay with me about this whole case is like i said that sitting on the moor with this dying girl alone mm-hmm. and the second one is this like the warped the phone box yeah in the middle of the night with the only weapons you clearly have like it's clear they don't own weapons because nobody takes a screwdriver if they have something stronger yeah yeah and somebody was probably having to stand i don't know if you've seen like the very stereotypical like phone boxes at the time because i've been in them they're not big if you're gonna get two people in there one of them to stand back to back is almost the only way that you can see all the angles of where people are and there's obviously a blind spot yeah. So I'm like, the image to me of them both is of them having to stand back to back. God, that, that just, that cool. sense chills down my back. Like, I'm feeling sick thinking about it, yeah. thinking about, think about being that. in that situation. And the fact that there's one blind spot you can't see. Yeah. And there's going to be no way to explain why in the middle of the night you needed to make this call if somebody spots, if he spots you. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Nah, 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 nah. I feel like we can have a moment for a good name in this really depressing episode, Superintendent Bob Talbot. That is a great name. Of the Cheshire Police. He's going to arrive at the back door of the house. He's wearing a borrowed baker's overall. He's going to cover his uniform. Good Good. call. Yes, excellent call. He's going to claim... So the thing is, this now goes out of the window. The second that he opens, opens the door to him, he's going to tell her he's a police officer. 
and tell her that he wants to speak to her boyfriend. At that point, she kind of has to let him in, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, they didn't have time yeah. about not having them having time to bowl out of the back door or destroy evidence. Yeah. She leads him into the living room where Brady is sitting up in a divan writing a note to his employer explaining that he would not be able to get into work because of his ankle injury. Poor baby. Good So God. sad. And he's, Talbot explains that he's investigating what he called it was an act of violence involving guns that he was saying was reported to take place. I, again, I wonder about, because from my words, there is no guns involved. Well, I think this is about if you somebody else on the street could have heard gunshots and called it in. Yeah. They're trying to protect David Smith. Because if we say we are aware of an incident... If they reveal that they know what happened right yeah. away, then... Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna know. Smith snitched. Yes, but if you say guns, people will be, oh, well, there's, you heard a noise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It could, it could be anyone on that street that's called it in. Yeah. Uh, Hindley's gonna say there's not been anything, and she's gonna allow police to look around the house. And oh, I boy. I don't know what's in her head. This is my favorite part about this is because apparently they, they've locked the spare room door, obviously. So the police are going to come to the door that's locked. Um, yeah. They're going to ask Brady for the key, and Hindley is going to say the key's at work. That is their big plan at this point the key's at work. Oh boy. Whatever the, are they going to do? <laughs> the police then immediately go, like any other sensible person, well, we'll drive you to work to get the key right now. And Brady just tells her to hand it over. So. They come back to the living room. The police uh, arrest Brady on suspicion of murder. And on the list of horrible quotes that I think we can add to the catalogue of this case, Brady is going to say he's getting dressed to go. And he says, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. Oh, boy. Yeah, I'm sure that's that's real true. There's so much about that statement I hate. But it's the Eddie that really I really hate. I'm like, he's not your friend. Stop trying to pretend like you're just two friends and got into a like a fight. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, yeah. Hindley's not arrested with Brady, but she demands to go with him. They also have a dog, so she wants the dog to come with. The dog is called Puppet, and the dog clearly deserved better owners. Yeah, um, that dog deserves so much better. But in what world, if somebody's been arrested, you'd go, you'd you'd ha- you'd try and protect yourself. And I think it says something about how like sink or swim they'd become that she's almost got choosing to go down with him yeah because once you voluntarily enter a police station that's it Do you know what that's I mean? it you're you're done mm-hmm. she is questioned she's just gonna claim it's an accident she's allowed to go home because they can't they haven't any evidence to hold her she has to come back the next day she gets four days before they have they arrest her and she goes to her employer and she asks to be fired and the reason she did that is in the uk if you quit your job, you cannot get, I think, a certain amount of unemployment. But if you're fired, unemployment benefit. But if you are fired, you can be. Okay. She apparently burns some papers from Brady in the office. She claims she never opened them. And but then why did why would she burn them? I, I feel like she would burn only the papers that would be really incriminating, so she would have to know what they were. She claims that there was something to do with the planned bank robberies and nothing to do with the murders. I'm like, nah, I would, I'm nah. going to be honest with you, I'd put 20 quid down right now, right now, that it had something to do with the murders. Yeah. 
don't yeah. just burn bank robbery. You know what I mean? At, that, at the point you've been arrested for murder, bank robbery is the least of your problems. Especially yeah. if you can prove you never did it. Exactly. Anyway, Brady's going to say during this initial investigation that Hindley had only done what she had been told. So his story's going to change later. Smith, I think my favorite thing is so David Smith, who is now cooperating for the police, is going to tell him the police that Brady's asked him to return anything. This is the stupidest thing I can think of. He asks again, he's not got no clue that David Smith has turned him in. They haven't told him yet. So yeah. he calls up David Smith or like contacts him in some way and says, Can you return any basically anything incriminating, including in inverted commas, dodgy box? Oh my god. So it's, it's the Nazi books, because I get, like, how, like, very sex-shaming society was in the 20th mm-hmm. century, but I'm like, nobody's that interested. They're not, they can't make a full case out of that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's the Nazi books. It's the Nazi books, I'm convinced. I, um, I agree with you, it has to be. So he packs them all into suitcases, and Smith tells the police he's got no idea what the suitcases contain or where they're going to be. But he mentions that, in, just in passing, that um, Brady, quote, had a thing about railway stations. So think about the fact we've had a victim abducted from a railway station. And remember, it was Manchester Central Railway Station. Yeah. The police are now going to search every left luggage office in Manchester because they figure he can't have got far. Yeah. 15th of October, so reference, like, 7th, he's arrested. 11th, Hindley is arrested. 15th, they find the suitcases. Good. They are at Manchester Central. And the t- the ticket for it was found several days later in the back of Hindley's prayer book. So I'm like, they were in on it. They d- they'd covered it up together. Yeah, they definitely did. So did you know what I mean? Like, in this case, there's constant weight between how much involvement she had. Mm-hmm. Of, like, willing involvement. Inside one of the suitcases is... Remember Leslie and Downey? Remember the fact there were photographs and a cassette tape? They're in there. The okay. Tape, yes. The cassette tape is 16 minutes. Oh, God. And Anne Downey, her mom, listens to it after police discover her daughter's body and she confirms it's her daughter's voice, which oh, has got God. to be on the list of, like, worst things in the world. That one's going to be close to the top. Oh, yeah. Um, I, um, I could not do that without getting sick. So, obviously, now they... These two guys are on lockdown. For reference, the thing about the tape is that tape has to be played in trial as evidence. And remember, I think at one point we were talking about this when I was saying I wanted to cover this case. And I said that this was a case where you had very hardened police officers on the homicide squads who were in tears during the trial. Yeah. And it's because the entire 16 minutes of tape had to be played. Oh, my God. And, like... I, I don't know if a recess was called. I don't know what happened. I don't know if people walked out, but I do know that there is a lot of reporting about the fact that you had these guys who have seen some of the worst of humanity who couldn't control their emotions at that point. So I'm like, that's not a good... T- I mean, obviously, it's not a good tape. I mean, that's... You that's, know, that's a bad. really, 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 really bad tape. Mm-hmm. And this is also going to be one of the... Ta- the tape is also going to be used to, again, the weight of who is the more responsible... Because Hindley is on it. Hindley is very actively on that tape. Yeah. So obviously the house is now in lockdown. They're like combing through the house. They're going to find an old exercise book in which the name John Kilbride has been written. So remember John Kilbride? He was 
the victim number two and he was um 15 years old yes i don't know if it was i don't think it was his book because i think they would say if it was his book i think this is like some weird horrible version of you know when like you write your name with like the surname of the guy you like yeah it feels like that to me (laughs) um so they then super are gonna get so that makes them super suspicious because they know this kid is missing yeah and they find a massive collection of photographs these are not of victims these are of saddleworth more and they are like why would you have so many photos of the same place when there's nothing there yeah and they're like it's trophies it's trophies so they then, because again, this is like the 1960s, there's not really DNA, there's not much science. What they actually do is they get 150 officers out going on the moor and they actually try and match parts of the moor to the photographs, which can you imagine how bloody difficult that's got to be? I mean, just looking at the photo that you sent, yeah. Yes, all of them look. And for reference, they had a neighbour called i haven't brought her up because she hasn't been relevant and this as you can see this is so many names in this case yeah um, her name's pat hodges and she's 11 and we think the reason that she was very close with the two and she think the reason that she was never a victim is because it would have been too obvious yeah and that saved her also can you imagine being 11 and finding out like the cool couple in their 20s that are always really nice to you killed yeah. kids your age that that would mess me up for the rest of my life there is not enough therapy in the world all trust destroyed suspicious of everyone so this is once again i know that we keep saying the list of the worst things in the world about this case we've got another one they concentrate their search in a certain area but pat mm-hmm. is going to say tell the police that she has been regularly she used to go on visits to the moor with these two because the oh. thing is the moors are very beautiful like they're, they're like a, they are a tourist thing for, because of nature yeah she wouldn't think anything of it because why would you? But she's then able to point out some of their favourite sites because the fact they had favourite sites means she has been taken back unwittingly, I think, to scenes of some of these murders. Yeah. She's 11, remember? And she thinks yeah. day out, some day out with these two older. It just, it makes me, like, my blood boil so much of this case. Yeah. Well, and they, imagine just how easy it would have been for them yeah. to murder her in the same way they did the others because they're taking her out into these places and the only thing that saved her is the fact that everybody knew that she used to be friendly with them that's the only thing basically they find an arm bone they presume it's john kilbride it's actually leslie ann downey and her mom was on the moor when they were searching but thank god she wasn't there when she was found yeah and i don't believe they necessarily showed her the body Mm-hmm. But they showed her the clothing and she could identify it. They find uh, Kilbride, who also has to be identified by clothing. So they are also going to be charged. So they have to be brought up on every charge to the court. As you can imagine, this is just exploding in the media. Yeah. Basically, they're now super suspicious. They're like, we have three. We think you've done more. We think you've killed more. But the problem is winter is beginning to set in. So you can't search those moors in winter. That's just too much of a risk to the volunteers and to the police officers. Yeah. Given, like you said, like it's not a forgiving landscape, so they have to call it off. Yeah. Um, Brady, so I think this is a typo. So it says Brady admitted to, and then it uses she and her. So either Brady or Hindley are going to admit to taking the photographs of Leslie Ann Downey. They're going to claim that 
Leslie and Downey, they're going to assume, they're going to say that two men brought her to the house and then took her away again. Just brought her to the house, they took the photographs, they took her away. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to get lesser charges at this point. Yeah. They're going down, they're going down for something. Do you know what I mean? Actually, like, on a slight break, the reason, like, I don't know if you know where the phrase, like, to be sent down comes from, but it's because in old trial building, old courts in the UK, there is underneath the defendant's, like, place where they stand, there is deliberately, there is a strap door and a set of stairs that would usually lead directly to the prison underneath. So you oh. And if you're going to, if you say I'm getting sent down, it's because they would lift up the trap door and take you straight back down. I did not so know where, that. That's what the phrase, like, to be to go down for something or to be sent down is to be, like, convicted. I see. That's really that's interesting. Small moment of not misery. Um, <laughs> because, and for reference, like, they're only going to say this because they put the tape recording down in front of them. Yeah. They're all going to be charged. Um, what they do is, so remember how there's the dog? Yeah. A lot of the photographs involve the dog on the moor. And detectives basically have the animal, they get a vet to examine the animal, to examine Puppet and check its check Puppet's age. And then they can date the photographs. Oh. They know how old Puppet they would know. So the thing is, the exam is going to involve an analysis of the dog's teeth. Okay. That requires a general anaesthetic. Yeah. Puppet is never going to recover from that and Puppet is actually going to die. Oh, um, poor he, puppy. And it's, it's not anyone's fault. He had an undiagnosed kidney complaint. Nobody knew. Yeah. Um, and I do feel really bad about this. Hindley's going to lose it when she finds out her dog's died. And she's going to accuse the police of murdering her dog. The thing that ups, that's bad about this is that this is the only one of the few times that detectives are ever going to see any emotional response from her about anything. Mm. It's the dog. And... She's like said, like, I feel as though my heart's been torn to pieces. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like, losing a pet is horrendous, but I don't think you deserve sympathy remotely. No, you made several families lose a loved one. Honestly, when you said that they were going to examine the dog's teeth, I was so afraid that they would somehow learn that this dog was fed, like, Mm-hmm. human remains i did i did I, I didn't actually even think of that but you're right what's interesting is, is in this letter she actually points out she's like the only consolation is that some moron might have got hold of puppet and hurt him because as you can imagine the public interest is massive in this case they actually have to have security screens fitted in the trial yeah it takes 14 days for the trial to conclude it starts on the 19th of april in 1966 they had to fit security scenes to protect brady and hinley there are, I believe there is footage of them being brought to the in vans to stand trial, like protected police vans. Mm-hmm. And police are actually physically having to hold people back. Yeah. As they get out. And this is not photographers. This is people who were trying to get to them. Yeah. Um, and I fully believe that the feeling at the in the time in the country was if someone had managed to get break three of those police officers, they would have been beaten to death. Yeah. And the thing is, because we know they're guilty, I'm I'm not down with mob justice before people are convicted, but because I know they're guilty, I'm okay with it in a sense. Yeah. I know that's not like how the law is supposed to work, but emotionally I'm actually pretty okay with that. Yeah, at the same time it's like they would deserve it. <laughs> they're only gonna get tried for three murders because they only have evidence for three murders. Because remember they haven't found the other bodies. Basically, David Smith is going to be the chief prosecution witness. But during the trial, 
it's going to turn out that he's entered into an agreement with a newspaper that he initially refused to name, guaranteeing him about the equivalent of £20,000 this year for the rights to his story if they're convicted. Okay. The paper had already paid for a holiday in France for him and his wife. They're paying him about £20 per week. For reference, £1,000 in this era is 20000 now. So they're paying him wow. They are. They haven't been a trial. Then they haven't been a five-star hotel for the duration of the trial. Yeah. The judge is furious at this because he sees it as interference with a gross interference with the course of justice. Which, like, yes, it is absolutely yeah. is. And it reminds me of the case in the episode with V about how the media interfered with the hostage negotiations. Yeah. And he's finally going to admit in court. It takes him ages to admit it but he finally admits it's news of the world, which is the newspaper that, I don't know if you know, a couple of years ago sank, finally, I believe, under the scandal that they had tapped people's phones illegally, including the phones of murder victims and murder victims' families to get exclusive rights. To stop oh, them. my God. That's um, horrible. The thing is, because somebody had checked the messages on the phone of this young woman who had actually already died, mm-hmm. and they believed she was still alive, because who else would have checked her phone? Yeah, journalists hacked into it. Yeah, but that gave her family such false hope that she was still alive, uh, and that finally, that scandal finally sank this newspaper. Good, and it was considered like a tabloid, what we call like a tabloid newspaper in the UK, and it's widely considered, if I remember right, to be trash. Uh, yeah, they're going to plead um, not guilty because they are also trash. Like they are both called to give evidence. Brady's up on the stand for eight hours and Hindley is up for six. Brady's going to admit to hitting Evans with the axe, so Edward Evans, but he's going to admit that he killed him. All he's going to get, they get from him is, I hit Evans with the axe and if he died from axe blows, I killed him. Okay. So like I said, the, the tape from Leslie Ann Downey is going to be played and Hindley is going to admit, because she's she you can hear on this, I haven't heard the recording, I have no intention of hearing the recording ever. Uh, never, ever. She admits that her attitude apparently was cruel and she claims that it's only because she's afraid someone might hear this literal child screaming for help. And I'm like, what kind of monster are you that that's your first? Anyway, and Hinley, you know how Hinley is always conveniently somewhere else? She's always conveniently somewhere else. Yes. Um, When Downey is being undressed, she is downstairs. When the photographs are taken, she's looking out the window. And when Downey is actually being murdered, she's running a bath. Yeah, that's that's way too convenient. How long are you, do you think it's going to take the jury to deliberate in this case? A very short time. Yeah, two hours for both yeah. to find them guilty of all three. Yeah. So Brady's guilty of all three and Hindley's guilty of Downey and Evans because I feel like they couldn't find enough evidence on John Kilbride at that point. Okay. I think it's Kilbride that they have tried. Yes, it's Kilbride. They tried to get her for that one, but they yeah. couldn't. Death penalty has actually been abolished whilst they're on remand. That's how close they came to being executed. Part of me kind of wishes it hadn't been abolished by this point because their crimes were just so horrible. Yeah, they're going to get life imprisonment. Uh, Brady gets three concurrent life sentences. Hinley's going to get two. And she's also going to get an extra seven years for harboring... Because they couldn't get her for Kilbride. So they got her for harboring him in the knowledge that he had murdered Kilbride. Okay. Well, at least they got her for something. 
And I will point out that a lot of my research, because some of this, I will admit, some of this copy and paste uses their surnames, so I keep lapsing into it as I'm reading. But yeah. I'm trying to keep referring to the victims by their first names when I can, because they are children. And I think calling someone by their surname makes them sound more adult. Yeah. So that's why I'm deliberately not using Ian Brady and Myra Hindley's first names, and I'm trying to use the victims' first names as consistently as I can. The judge says that he believe he's he's recommended that they spend quote a very long time in prison before being considered of parole, and he saw no reasonable possibility of reform for Brady. He considered that it might not be true for Hindley. The judge thought she was very much under his influence. Okay. So they go to prison. They've only gone on the three. So remember Pauline, who was 16, and Keith, who was 12. Yeah. Haven't been found yet, and they are not, they've not been implicated in those murders yet. Yeah. 1985, Brady's going to allegedly confess to a journalist that he's responsible for Pauline and Keith's murders. The police suspected it, but the thing is, they since the murders, there were a lot of other children that were thought to have been victims, but they've all been cleared. Yeah. The one that I wanted to mention as like a small relief is her name is Jennifer Tike, and she was 14 years old. She disappeared from her children's home in 1964. 40 years later, she's mentioned as a possible victim. Mm. But a couple of years later, the Greater Manchester Police confirmed she was indeed still alive. So she's actually still alive. Good, good. My assumption is that she possibly ran away from the children's home. Yeah. Which, if it wasn't a safe place for her, like, all power to her. Like, yeah. to be honest. The thing is, they're going to continue to search. The really sad thing is, the mum, her name was Winnie Johnson, of Keith, is going to keep writing letters to Brady and Hindley, begging for help, begging them to help find, and to like show some humanity. Brady isn't going to agree to help, because Brady is a monster. Hindley is a monster, but she is going to agree to help. But it wasn't a popular move in the public eye. Like I think the government had to apologise for it because security was very lax and they just let her out on the moor and were walking, walking around trying to find things, trying to identify where she thought he might be buried. Oh, man. And they don't know how much of that was like her playing and how much of it was her trying to swing parole in a sympathetic. Yeah. She's actually going to confess to those on the 10th of February, 1987. She's going to confess to all of the murders her confession is not going to be made public for more than a month. And to be honest, I don't blame the police in this one. I am more than happy to criticise the police if I think they've hepped up on something. Yeah. They haven't hit. Because if you think about the outcry that happened the first time, so that statement is 14 hours long, and the person that took it said he described it as a very well-worked-out performance. And he said that he felt like he'd witnessed a great performance rather than a genuine confession. Brady's going to get visited in prison. They're going to tell him about Hindley confessing. He's not going to believe it, but they're going to force him to confront some of the details she told them. Yeah. Brady decides that he's prepared to confess too, but only on the condition that he gets the means to commit suicide immediately afterwards. And obviously, like, the authorities can't comply with that because of the rule of law in the United Kingdom. Yeah. They're not allowed to do that. So news of Hindley's confession becomes public. They find a body buried only about 100 yards from... So that's 90 metres from where Leslie Ann Downey had been found. Brady makes a formal confession when that's been found. He issues a statement to the press. See, like, the fact he issues a statement to the press is what I'm like, saying that he's prepared to help. And he basically goes on the 3rd of July that year. He is taken on the moor, and he 
seems to lose his bearings and he claims it's because of changes in the moor in the year. Uh, and at 3 p.m. it's just called off. I think it's he wanted a trip out of prison. Like, that's my gut feeling. Yeah, I think he gonna, did too. Yeah, they're not going to allow him a second visit. Yeah. Brady's actually going to write a letter to a television reporter and he's going to give some sketchy details of five additional murders he's going to claim to carry out. There's no evidence that he did carry these out. Hindley has said that she has no evidence. I think that's him playing with people because that's what he does. I think so too. Or maybe trying to like somehow get another trip out of prison to yeah. go search those moors. Mm-hmm. So basically they've confessed to Pauline and Keith Bennett now. The director of public prosecutions, they are in charge of deciding which cases go to trial for the public interest. And they decided that there's no point to another trial because they're already both serving life sentences. They're never getting out. Yeah. And so for reference, like in 2003, so this is very recent, they relaunched a whole operation just to find Keith Bennett. They used US satellite to look for evidence of soil movement. But in July 2009, it was officially reported they've officially given up the search, saying that unless there's a massive scientific breakthrough, Keith Bennett is a very big figure in the minds of the public about this crime. I believe that his mother died without ever knowing where he was. And so did his grandmother. Um, And they both wrote to Brady and asked him to tell them, but he didn't respond. So many people donated money to search the mall that they could, and they people volunteered. And so in 2010, they actually opened it again. 2012, there's like a it's this back and forth for years. Like in 2012, the suspicion that he might have told Brady might have told a visitor, and a woman's arrested for basically not telling the police. But there's no evidence to press charges. And as of 2019, his family have well, I said they won't ever stop searching, but they haven't found him. Ah, oh, that's so upsetting. Mm-hmm. So Brady, after his, and then this is like to the point they die now. They are going right. to die, I promise. Death Good. is happening. Yes. He's moved to Durham Prison and he asks to live in solitary confinement, which given what I've heard about what happens to child molesters and child murderers in prison, I'm not bloody surprised he asked to live in solitary confinement. Yeah. Because this, again, this was considered a horrendous case this has always been considered a horrendous case, objectively in all the horrendous cases. This is considered one of the worst. Yeah. So if, and there are people, shockingly, there are people in prison who have children. Mm-hmm. So he spends 19 years in these various mainstream prisons. He's diagnosed as a psychopath in 1985, which I feel like we could have all told you. <laughs> Unsurprising. I, mean, I know I shouldn't joke, because I know you can't actually armchair diagnose people, but I'm not surprised. I mean, in hindsight, them. yeah. He was sent to Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital, which is in the area, in the relative area to where I grew up. Um, And he made it clear he was never wanted to be released. So Ashworth Psychiatric Hospital, if I remember right, is one of the very few, possibly the only psychiatric hospital for criminals in the United Kingdom. Because, again, we're teeny. What's interesting is, in a lot of cases about life meaning life, pretty much everybody agreed that life should mean life in this. And he became the longest serving prisoner in England and Wales as of 2007. He wouldn't work with a psychiatrist at Ashworth. In one letter written in 2005, um, he claimed that the murders were merely an existential exercise of just over a year. Because as we all know, when you have like science philosophy, you want to take like, you know, 
explore philosophy and have an existential crisis, you go and you murder a bunch of children. Yeah, obviously. And he went on hunger strike. Basically, I don't know about the UK, I thought it was an interesting point. English law allows patients to refuse treatment, but those have who are being treated for mental health under the Mental Health Act of 1983 actually have no such right. Mm. So in England, you can refuse medical treatment unless you have been what we would call sectioned under the Mental Health Act. Okay. But if you've been sectioned, you are not allowed to refuse treatment if it is for your mental health. My mum actually wrote her her master's dissertation, if I remember correctly, on the Mental Health Act, which is why I know a bit about this. So, hey, mum, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sure you appreciate the shout out in the middle of this particular episode. <laughs> so he's force fed. He writes in 2001 a book, and it is published by an underground US publisher. Of the course. Is, the book is his analysis. It's not a biograph- autobiography. It's an analysis of specific serial killers. As you can imagine, this gets announced, because obviously he, he wasn't an idiot, and he knew no publisher in Britain would touch it. Yeah. Um, so he went to the US, and it just caused mass outrage. And... And he tried to attempt suicide. Um, do you know Smarties Tubes? Yes. Sweets. A female friend sent him 50 pills hidden inside these two Smarties Tubes that were then hidden inside a crime novel. Uh, but it was intercepted. And he gets end-of-life care. He wants to return. He applies to be... I remember... I, this is the part where I remember this. So 2012... I remember him applying to be returned to mainstream prison and not being in a psychiatric hospital anymore, and that was immediately denied. Because everyone was like, aside from the fact that he clearly the professional opinion was that he did, he had a mental disorder that he needed treatment for, the gut feeling in the public at the time was, if he wants something, he should get the opposite. He shouldn't get anything he wants, was like the feeling. I'm kind of on board with that feeling. So he's going to die of restricted pulmonary disease in 2017. Wow, that's that's not too long ago. And um, he's cremated by Sefton Borough Council on the 25th of October, and his ashes are disposed of at sea during the night, which I thought was an interesting point. Basically, the court ruled that the disposal of his body shouldn't cause offence and distress to his victims' families. So Mm -hmm. they decided the only option they had was to cremate it and secretly they went went out the scene in the middle of the night, they picked somewhere at random and they tossed the ashes overboard. Because he had always said he wanted to be um, cremated and ashes scattered in Glasgow, but the city's council said it would never let that happen and if anybody made a request, the council would block it. If a request was made, the council would block it and intervene because they're like, Mm. he's not coming back here. Which I think when an entire city... Set that you grew up in says they do not want your dead body is telling. Yeah. For reference, Brady and Henley are going to write to each other until 1971. She's going to end their relationship. But Finally. That, and the reason that they are partially going to end it is Hindley has fallen in love with one of her prison warders. <laughs> this is why this episode, I feel like we may have to break this episode into two parts. And I'm really sorry, but there's just so much stuff. And there's none of it that isn't relevant. I've actually yeah. gone through, I've actually, you would you believe it, I've actually filtered out about 20 more pages of oh research. My God. Basically, Hindley's also going to successfully petition to have her status as a category A prisoner changed to category B. And I thought this was like a relevant thing. In the UK, we have a different prison system to the US. We have closed, what is called a closed prison and an open prison. 
And if you are categories A, B, or C, you are in a closed prison. And so A is high security, um, D is the lowest security. A is anybody whose escape would be considered highly dangerous to the public or national security. Uh-huh. And anything under the official offenses under the Official Secrets Act, which is basically, I would say, is basically terrorism and spying. You can get that murder, robbery, rape, kidnapping, uh, manslaughter, indecent assault, firearms offenses, class A drug offenses, owning explosives, supplying explosives. Those all get you into category A. All right. B is those who don't require max because A is maximum security. Yeah. Um, and those are, category A is also further divided into standard, high, and exceptional risk based on their likelihood of escaping. Like how likely are they to try and how likely are they to succeed? Okay. B is people who don't require maximum security, but for whom escape has to still be made difficult because they'll try. And those who can't be trusted in open conditions, but are unlikely to try to escape, go to C. And these are all different. We have different types of prisons. So we have like a category A prison, a category B prison. And as prisoners are categorized, they are sent to those specific prisons. Uh-huh. And you can petition to have your category downgraded. Um, and at that point, you would then be moved to a more relaxed prison. So A, B, and C, they are closed prisons. Open prison, you are only getting if you're category D. And those are basically reasonably trusted to not try and escape. These are the ones that are allowed release on temporary license. Basically, if once you're a quarter way through your sentence, you can sometimes go on what we would call home leave, where you're uh-huh. like supervised, but you can go to visit your family, or you can go and do community service. Okay. For reference, like murderers do not get D. Yeah. From what I'm aware. I could be wrong and someone will comment, I'm sure. But so when she gets down to category B, she's allowed to go on a walk around Hampstead Heath. And the governor of the prison who does that and accompanies her gets into massive, massive trouble for this. So the home secretary actually officially yells at her. Like, you know how you can sort of yell in private? No, this is an official yelling. <laughs> she goes, she goes on record as having been like you're hecked up. Hindley's also going to try and plan a prison escape because this story has it all. And obviously Patricia Cairns, uh, her partner, is going to help. Yeah. Um, and she goes to prison for six years in jail when that's found out. Basically, they were trying to get impressions of the prison keys. It didn't work. Cairns goes to jail for six years. Hindley's told she has to spend 25 years. And then basically we are going to go back and forth for years about whether she should have what we call a whole life tariff. And a whole life tariff is like life means life. It's a court order whereby a prisoner is ordered to serve that sentence and you do not get parole. Yeah. So in England, we don't say like life with no parole. We sort of do, but it's a phrase borrowed from the US. It, the official legal term is a whole life tariff. Okay. You have to be aged 21 or above to get a whole life tariff. You can't get it as under the age of 21. So she is, she gets that in 1990, finally. So I've just saved us all about 20 years of back and forth. She (laughs) She goes to, she basically is going to make tons of appeals, tons of appeals, tons of appeals. There was a scandal in 2002 when another life sentence prisoner challenged the Home Secretary's, Secretary's power to do this. Hindley and a lot of others looked like they might be released. Oh, uh, and so the Home Secretary actually went to the Greater Manchester Police and told them they needed to find new charges against her now to prevent her getting out. Yeah. And the problem is that they were going to go and try and get her for Pauline and Keith. Rightfully so. Yeah. But 
government lawyers said the problem is that the director of public prosecutions had already said that they weren't going to prosecute. So that's actually classed as an abusive process mm-hmm. legally in the UK. And it's like an, an offence. You're not allowed to do that. You can't do that just because you don't. If you've already made that decision, you can't do it just because somebody might be about to be released. As much as I understand why people did it, like the law is what it is, the Home Secretary is no longer allowed to make minimum sentences because he's a politician, he's not a judge. Mm-hmm. So 2002, that strips. You see what I mean? Like so many laws changed and there was, this was influenced by this case. Yeah. And then finally, 2002, she's going to die. Thank God. Yeah. She's 60. She's going to die from pneumonia caused by heart disease. Camera crews surrounded the funeral at Cambridge Crematorium, which obviously spiked. I, I noticed because I used to live in Cambridge. None of Hindley's relatives went to her funeral. None of them. I mean, I don't blame them. There was only between eight or ten people, depending on reports there. And to reference, this 35 years after the murders. 20 local undertakers said they wouldn't handle her cremators. 20. I don't blame them either. Yep. So finally, she's survived by Patricia Cairns, who's still her ex-partner, and her ashes are scattered less than 10 miles. 10 miles is 16 kilometres from Saddleworth Moor. Mm-hmm. And that caused another big scandal. So... To follow up the last players, Smith is going to be demonised for almost the rest of his life, despite the fact that without him, these two would never have been caught. Yeah. Sisters on trial. So Maureen, who, remember, Maureen is a sister. The Maureen is the sister that convinced her husband to go to the police and then walked him to the phone box. She's attacked in the lift of the building, so elevator of the building in which she and David live. She's eight months pregnant when she's attacked. So their home gets vandalised, they get hate mail. The Maureen was terrified to let her kids out of her sight because she didn't want to explain to them why they had to stay in the house. That's that's terrible. Like, yeah, what her sister did was the worst thing ever in this entire she world. Do she didn't she, do it. And she actually I, helped stop it. I think, this is, you know, I said about like the horror, like the, the sheer mob mentality at the time with like people trying to get through the police barriers. Yeah. I think it's because they couldn't get to there. Mm. And people were so... Particularly the fact Hindley was absolutely... I think if my gut interpretation of it is that if people could have gone for someone, they would have gone for Hindley Mm. rather than Brady. And that's because at the time, Hindley was a woman who had participated in the sexual assault, torture and murder of children. Yeah. In the 60s. Basically, Smith is not still hasn't run another run in from the law. Um, he basically knifes another man in a fight, but he claims that this is triggered. The attack is triggered from the abuse he suffered through the trial. I don't know if that's like a he's saying that's like a snap, sudden mental break from the stress of it, or if yeah. this man actually brought up the trial and used that, and it was like the last thing. So that he goes to prison for three years. Um, his kids are taken into the care of the local authority, which basically means they're removed from the home and they're taken away from their kids. Maureen is going to try and is going to move house. She's going to try and find work in a department store. She gets whisper campaigns. I feel like people know what whisper campaigns are, and there's petitions to remove yeah. her from the estate she lives in. She gets no support from her family because her mother had supported Myra Hindley. So. Are you kidding me? I kid you not. I kid you not. She went, she was behind Hindley in the trial. 
Oh my was, god. We'll think it's Maureen is also the daughter that had a kid out of wedlock, effectively. Had like a shotgun marriage and then turned her, her, her sister in. As opposed to the sister who killed like four or five people. Like, yeah, who literally, apparently child torture is okay. You know apparently. What I mean? like, apparently. Smith is, so the thing that's really sad about this is Smith is actually going to leave Maureen, move after prison. Um, he gets custody of his three sons. I don't know what the family situation there and why Maureen didn't get them. I don't know. And I don't want to assume because I don't know what goes, you know, you don't know what goes on. She gets, she manages to repair the relationship with her mother. The, the phrasing of that annoys me because I'm like, her mum personally, in my opinion, should have to come to her and beg for forgiveness. At this yeah, her, her mom should have been the one. Because I don't care if Maureen is a, like a shitty person. I actually don't care. Like her actions that she did were not in that. And she shouldn't have been punished. If you're going to punish somebody for a specific action, it should not have been that one. Yeah. So she divorces Smith in 1917. She marries a lorry driver and she has a daughter. So they would make visits to regular visits to see Henley, um, who apparently adored her niece. And in 1980, Maureen dies of a brain hemorrhage. And Henley was actually granted permission to visit her sister, but she actually only arrived an hour after Maureen had died. Mm. Um, so in I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in the UK, we have like compassionately even exceptional circumstances. So it is like, my sister is dying. Please yeah. let me go say goodbye. You know, my my mother has two weeks to live. Please let me go say goodbye. Sheila and Patrick Kilbride, so remember John Kilbride's parents, they're divorced mm-hmm. by then, which, again, it's not my place to assume, and I do hope they manage to move on, but I can understand why that could have ended their marriage. I'm sad if it did, if that was the reason. But, yeah. like, the tra- having to live through a traumatic event with somebody and then being constantly faced with them. It's the same reason I can understand why Smith and Maureen eventually separated. Mm-hmm. If that is the reason, that is sad, but it's understandable. Um, I mean, I feel like that that's not an uncommon thing to happen mm-hmm. because I've read up on a lot of cases where couples who were involved mm-hmm. in the crime somehow, either by being the parents of the victim or like related to the murderer or whoever ended up separating because of it she so basically Sheila and Patrick both turn up to Maureen's funeral because they think that Hindley might make an appearance mm. so Maureen remember Bill Scott her husband the lorry driver yeah um, Patrick is going to mistake Bill Scott's daughter from a previous relationship and she's a woman called Anne for Hindley, and he's actually going to go for her and try and attack her. Oh, um, and goodness. Then and he has to be knocked to the ground by another mourner, and the police have to be called. Oh, um, man. And shortly before her death, at the age of 70, Sheila said, um, if Hindley ever comes out of jail, I'll kill her. Which, you know what? Fair. You, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to... I am so the opposite of judgment for that. Yeah. Um, her son, Danny... And Anne West, who, if I remember right, Anne West is the mother the mother of one of the victims, and I cannot remember which one for the life of me, because, once again, this is a monster case. I think it might be the mother of Leslie. Yeah, I thought so. So Leslie, the 10-year-old, her mother. Mm-hmm. I am not surprised, remotely. So in 1970. 
to so basically there's another case where Smith is tried for the murder of his father who'd been suffering from terminal cancer and he pleads guilty to manslaughter and I don't know how that case works out the the, the terminal illness makes me wonder if that was a requested assistance I mean I know there are states in the United States where you can be prosecuted for assisting someone in suicide i believe that is the same in the united kingdom i have met um a woman who i can't remember the name of so i wouldn't be able to identify anyway but i would obviously choose not to who did assist her father by she took him to switzerland where Mm -hmm. it is legal in europe so yeah he remarries like i said he goes to moves to lincolnshire he dies in ireland in 2012 mm. um, and he was exonerated of any participation by hinley's confession in 1987 so remember the case happens in 1960 1964 1965 is when he he's 17 mm-hmm. and he walks in and he sees his quasi brother-in-law murdering someone yeah it takes till 1987 for him to be exonerated and until then, he lives under public suspicion that he was more involved than he says he was. That poor kid. I know. I'm not saying this guy's an angel, because he's clearly not. But but he's not a monster. But he's not a monster. He did not deserve, in my opinion, the treatment he was getting. No. Joan Reed, so Pauline's mother, was admitted to a psychiatric unit in Manchester, um, and she was present at the funeral of her daughter. Five years after John Kilbride was murdered, Sheila and Patrick Kilbride divorced. And Anne West, I was right, when I was right, mother of Leslie Ann Downey, died in 1999 from liver cancer. And she basically campaigned for the rest of her life to ensure that Hindley remained in prison. Mm. Um, and a lot of doctors believe that the sheer stress of that contributed to her illness. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, and Winnie Johnson, who was Keith Bennett's mother, visited Saddleworth Moor for the rest of her life, and she would go and she would go to the area that she believed it, where it was believed that her son was buried, mm. because she couldn't go to a grave. And yeah. so she dies in 2012. The house that the murder of Edward Evans and Leslie Ann Downey occurred in was demolished in 1987 because the city council decided that it was causing too much media interest and they wanted to just destroy the house entirely. Yeah. The house is now gone. And if you look in the drive, there is an image of where the house was. Okay. You can see there's like an empty lot. So that's where the house was. Um, And they just demolished it, which I don't blame them, to be honest. I'm not a superstitious person. And I've said, like, I think we've talked about this, like, to me, the concept of living in a house where a person has died is not an uncomfortable idea because I come from Europe <laughs> where a lot of houses are a lot older and that's very common. And because I have also lived in a house where members of my family did pass away. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, I'm very comfortable with that. I don't, that to me, that isn't an issue and there's nothing gross about it. But this case, I feel like, no, I feel like, yeah, you should, you should destroy the house. Yeah. There's, there's just too much about this case, and mm-hmm. it's too horrible. And, like, that's a house where a 10-year-old child was assaulted and basically tortured. Like, that is, that's too much. Yeah. 
And so that is the case of Brady and Hinley, the Moors murderers. My God. <sighs> I know. Like, I don't. There is no way for me to say anything like witty or upbeat or anything about this one, guys. No. And I'm not going just... to. And I'm not going to like do a disservice to this particular case by trying to. Mm-hmm. I think with some cases, for example, because I do a lot of historical ones, there is enough emotional distance between the events of like two, three hundred years ago and now that we can do that. And I don't think that with this. And I don't think I still don't think in in 200, 300 more years I would be able to do it with this one. No, there's just there's just too much about this case. Yes. Terrible. Horrible. And. Like a very, very long one. So, like, thank you, Ali, for sticking around. (laughs) If you if you want something to at least like awkwardly laugh about, imagine my face after I said to you, "Oh, I'm going to do this case," and then I began researching it. That is a condensed. That is a condensed version. I did cut out twenty pages before it made it into note form, and I did skip about ten pages of notes. My God, because. Yeah. Every, oof, just, yeah. So oof. I feel like this one has been a long and stressful journey for us all. So <laughs> do you want to go straight to final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's just go there. I mean, the only thing I can really say about this case now is that rather than spending our time hating Brady and Henley, we should instead remember those poor kids who whose lives were cut tragically short by their actions. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, the thing that I should have pointed out about, for example, like Pauline 16 was the is the was the leaving age for school and you could go mm-hmm. into work. And around a similar time, many young people left from like 14, 15, 16 and went into work. Yeah. So they were, to some degree, they were viewed as slightly more adult socially. But when this case came out, they were viewed as children. Yeah. Uh, which I think is correct, but I think is relevant to what a weird, like what a weird state being a teenager is. Yeah. Where you definitely. are either an, an adult or a child, depending on the context and the situation that you are in. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I've said like the two, the images that I think really stick with me is like I said, the, the more with Pauline and yeah, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Uh, the phone booth is the phone what's booth, really going to stick with me. Like the walk, this. To, the walk to the phone booth and having to make that call. And I'm like, yeah. And to do that, to do that at my age, because I, I mean, yeah. like, I know, I know we're like, oh, we're older, but like we are, we're young. Like, we're like the millennial generation. I um, I don't think I could do it. For reference, like, I, I'm i pretty sure one of my foster cats just kind of knocked over a box or something, but I heard the noise, and I immediately went on alert, like, yes. is someone trying to break into my house mm-hmm. right now? And I will say, like, I have had to make stressful calls in my life. You know, I've had to call um, ambulances. Um, I have had to call the police but never about something like this. And I hope yeah. you never have to. 
the, the concept of doing that at 24 and again like I have moved country several times and arrived in a country where I did not speak the language mm-hmm. and have not thought that that scary to me this is scarier than to do that at 17 mm-hmm. is really <laughs> sure is something and I wouldn't wish it on anyone no um and so I figured like to finish this one I was going to just go through and say the names of the victims again and for ages, if that's yeah. okay. So we had the first victim, who is Pauline Reed, and she was 16. Then we have John Kilbride, who was 15. We have Keith Bennett, who was 12, and his body to this day isn't found. We have Leslie Ann Downey, who is 10, and Edward Evans, who is 17. Or who was 17. Whew. Well, after that, I need a whole lot of cookies. I was like, I was like, how's your cookie box doing? I, feel like- I have not touched it because that whole case just made me feel sick to my stomach. Like, if it helps, I also have a massive thing of butter cookies. I may have to stress eat. I'm probably not going to do a case that heavy for a while again. So yeah. if people listening, you can all breathe a sigh of relief. This was my bad one. I'm trying to make sure that I do, if I do bad ones, I'm going to try and do one per batch of maybe 10 episodes just for the sake of everybody yeah. and our sanity. Well, I think it's time for us to, to go and um, stress eat and try and gather our thoughts and become more positive after that whole mess. Yes. So we will see you guys um, next week when we drop this episode it might be in two parts it might be one um thank you for sticking around and listening and we will see you next time so bye bye dead cat on the line is written and produced by ali drain and sarah caulfield sound editing is done by ruth brown for more information you can find us at dead cat podcast on Twitter and Instagram. No cats were harmed in the making of this podcast. We even have a real live one. You can see him on our social media pages. Thanks for listening.